Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Every week, uh, we're gathering together on this show uh, with the intent of edifying you and building you up in your faith and maybe giving you a bit of insight into some of the content that we're teaching in our classes. Uh, the, the purpose of the postscript is that it's an addendum to the content in our classes. You're getting exposure to the professors and the teachers in a way that you wouldn't otherwise get. And so uh, we're, we're prayerful that it's valuable to you. And uh, we're talking about all kinds of different things when we sit down together like this. We're talking about ministry and leadership and and even missions. And so right now we're going to be having a conversation with Pastor James Fife of Midtown Baptist Temple, a former missionary to Southeast Asia, and also the, the missiology professor here at LFBI. He teaches uh, classes on missions, uh, how to prepare yourself for the mission field, a philosophy of missions, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's of great value to us here at LFBI. We are uh, really just kicking off uh, a series of interviews that he and I are doing. Uh, you may have caught the last one on George Grenfell, but uh, the series is about unknown missionaries, missionaries that aren't common to people's uh, you know, understanding of missions history. So today we're going to be talking about a missionary who was in missions in Vietnam and Cambodia in the mid-20th century, uh, a name that you're not going to be familiar with, a man named Juan Sun, uh, who was uh, a man of God. And so we're really excited to hear more about him and to encourage you in this way and his story. And with that, I want to welcome Pastor James Fife to The Postscript. Good morning, Brandon. How are you doing? Good, man. It's really good to have you here. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be here. The last episode we did was was so much fun mm -hmm. because it, it's fun for me because these are names that I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, that I haven't encountered before. And I think the average person probably hasn't either. Mm -hmm. So I think there is value in doing this because we're going to get to hear stories that that um, are about just average people uh, doing amazing things for God. Yeah. And that's one of the, the things that I love most about missionary biographies is you do, you hear average people that do amazing things for God. And then it challenges me uh, to pray and to consider what am I doing for the Lord? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to begin today's episode uh, before we begin talking about Juan Sun um, by just reading a passage that I think is relevant to this series and, and even to today's episode. Mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 31, starting there, says, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believe not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. You know, I, I hope people can't just gloss over a passage like that. Right. And this is one of my, my favorite passages in scripture because it reminds me of that, what we were just talking about, the idea that common people, uh, people of no reputation in some cases, uh, people who were despised, like Rahab was the first name mentioned right. there, yeah. um, were, were used by God mm -hmm. to do some of the most incredible things that history could ever record. And, uh, you know, and in the best case, you know, uh, led thousands upon thousands were used to lead thousands upon thousands of people to the knowledge of God and to Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, with that, Juan's son is one of those people. He fits within the unnamed. Yeah. And so can you just begin by telling us why he fits there and, and who he was? Yeah. So with Juan's son, there's a few 
you know, I think out of this passage that you read, there's a few uh, phrases that stand out related to his life. I love that it says out of weakness, we're made strong. Mm-hmm. Just back to that original idea that, that there is no, in me, there's nothing, you know, inherently strong. There's no greatness. It's all the work of the Lord. And actually what God works with the best is the weak. Mm-hmm. Those who are willing just to say, I know I'm weak and I want you to use me. I think that is a, you know, a powerful testimony of one son. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I love the parenthesis, you know, in that passage, there's just one little phrase that gets thrown in there in parentheses. And it just says, by the way, of whom the world was not worthy. Right. These men walked the earth and you, and you think about, you know, the value of, of the earth and the sum total, maybe of everything that there is and, and all of its worth. And God just throws this little parentheses in there and goes, by the way, yeah, one son, uh, this world actually wasn't worthy of him walking on it. Yeah. Incredible. Which is a crazy thought. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you get there? So let's talk about one son. So mm-hmm. there's actually not a whole lot written about him. What we know is very little. In fact, we only really know of one solid account of him, right? I mean, right. I brought it with me again. So Between Two Tigers, this is the book that tells the testimony of various uh, Christians in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And he's one of them. He gets about five pages in this mm-hmm. book um, that are dedicated to him, but it's a, a great collection of testimonies. You know, just side note here, this was given to me by two girls here in our, in our ministry uh, at the church who, who are both preparing to go to Vietnam yeah. uh, as missionaries uh, themselves. And, and they wrote a little note in here for me. Uh, what I also love is that someone else's name was on this book ahead of time. And the girls scribbled that name out. They're like, it's our book now. And then they passed it on to me. But uh, you know, the, and there's notes in here. It's like somebody read this and, and underlined things and took notes. And, and then I know that these stories impacted those those women's lives yeah. as they're preparing to go to Vietnam. And then they passed the book on to me. So uh, mm-hmm. I love it. I love the testimony that's in it. I love yeah. just that, that they were willing to to gift that to me. And I know how much it meant to them hearing what has happened on the field that they're getting ready to go to. So another great reason why we should be reading missionary bios uh, because it will open our eyes and give us a better understanding mm-hmm. of, of what Christians are facing throughout the world. Um, because we're very protected. We're, we, we're very, you know, we, Christian Christianity in, in Kansas City or in America is easy, yeah. but it's not in Vietnam. And that's what we'll see through this guy's story. Yeah, so, so Juan Sun is one of the, of the many stories within that book of, uh, of, of really heroes of the faith uh, in a very particular moment in time. So yeah, tell us what, what little we know about Juan Son. Yeah, so this happens, um, as you mentioned, in, in kind of the mid to late 19th century. We're probably in the 1970s uh, when this story mm-hmm. uh, that we're going to recount is told. And, and, you know, kind of a big picture real quickly that, that puts us into what the Bible would call the Laodicean church age. Yeah. So this last church age leading up to the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. We did George Grenfell. He would have been fallen into the, the Philadelphian church age, right. which would have been a time period from roughly 1500 to 1900 that had great open doors. Uh, the word was open. The, the, the door for missions was open. The, the great awakening, great revivals around the world. Contrasted with Laodicea, where we have, generally speaking, uh, an entire you know uh, summary of a church that is more consumed with its own rights and uh, kind of the ease of life. Mm-hmm. If we were to just yeah. kind of real broadly sum that up, and so this is where that guy fits in, but lives a life that's very contrary to the norm of the Laodicean church age. Uh, what was his upbringing like? We have we have no idea. Yeah. Uh, we jump into his life. He's married. He's an adult. He has five kids. And this is where we pick up the story of his life. And, uh, and he gives his life to Christ. Mm. So he doesn't grow up as uh, a Christian. He doesn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, this is coming, you know, in, in, in the times where, you know, the Vietnam uh, war has gone on and there's still war and revolution. There's still small bits of fighting. Communism is trying to take over in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a place where the, where the gospel is, is freely pe- there preached. Th- there aren't thriving missionaries and church plants taking place in no, this part of the world. No, uh, there's not. So we don't really know a whole bunch about them. Communism began in Vietnam in 1954. Um, and, and then with it, the great persecution of the church also begins in Vietnam. So it's also a time where 
you know, becoming a Christian is a very difficult thing. Mm-hmm. He, like I said, he didn't grow up a Christian. He, he becomes a Christian during this difficult time. Do we know the, the story of how he came to Christ or it, there's not really any information on that? We do. Okay. Yeah. And so, and then I would also maybe caution as with anything that's not uh, the word of God itself. When we read missionary bios, you're, you're going to get a lot of, uh, of challenge and encouragement that you can take away. You're also going to find guys that don't align with us fully on, on all points theologically right. or in, or maybe even you know in practice in, in terms of how they run their mission. So you have to learn how to read those things and take out the things that are that apply. Yeah, that are biblically valid. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does have a, a a testimony of of coming to know Christ. I would say it's more um, you know charismatic. There were kind of some signs and some wonders that that are involved in it than right. than what we would uh, espouse to. Um, but his testimony is that, that he heard who Christ was and put his faith in that and then began to live it. Yeah. If I could just kind of give the short answer without sure. maybe sure throwing all the, the details, the in. miracle uh, yeah, right. and the weirdness into it. Yeah. Nonetheless, he put his faith in Christ yeah. and it, and something radically changed yeah. uh, in his behavior and the, and the way that he thought about the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he lives in the jungle. Uh, his community is about 150 families. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fairly isolated. It's they build with bamboo, thatched roofs, um, but 150 families nonetheless is, mm-hmm. is a good sized community. He is the first in his family to put his faith in Christ, and one of the first in the village in his community as well. I actually don't know, you know, who was that missionary who went and led him right. to the Lord. I don't, I don't have that answer. Yeah. Um, somebody did, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but anyway, so he, he gives his life to Christ and then he immediately starts evangelizing his family, his wife and his kids. They put their faith in Christ as well. And then he starts to, to, to reach out and just starts trying to evangelize his community. Mm-hmm. And so he invites uh, the community to come to his house for a Bible study. And at his very, the very first time that he, you know, he's been, you know, so he's been studying the word, he's been growing maybe through whoever taught him. Right. Uh, there's been some some time where he's been able to come to a realization that he has a responsibility with the gospel. Right. Now that he is a, a follower of Christ, yeah. so he invites the neighborhood. If we could use, yeah. use that term loosely, he sure. invites the village, sure. and fifty people show up at his house. Wow! And they sing, they pray, and he opens the word, and he starts just preaching what he knows. And the police show up, and the very first time that this guy is publicly you know, declaring the word to other people, he gets arrested and they haul him off to jail. And as he describes it, it's a, an, uh, like a steel box that's raised up off the ground, mm-hmm. some holes in the bottom, I assume, so you can do your business and, and it'll fall through. And, uh, but it, he, he described it like being an animal in, in a zoo. It is extremely hot. It's in the jungle. Uh, just this box in the heat, they'd bring him uh, rice with salt a few times a day. And that's the only thing he was fed. Yeah. I su- suppose their objective was to get, to get him to recant his faith. And which is, you know, for those who don't know, that's uh, a huge objective of a communist government mm-hmm. is to ensure that the people are not practicing a faith system that mm-hmm. would lead them to rise up and consider anything outside of the government itself as divine. Right. So, you know, the, in a in a communist country, uh, the government is God. So right. there there needs to not be any faith systems that that take precedence. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's what they were doing. So they're telling him, "Hey, if you just make a promise not to host these meetings again, we'll send you back home, no problem." Mm-hmm. And 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 one son says, "Well, I can't do that. When you let me go, I'm going to continue preaching the gospel." Mm. And and. Uh, so he stays in prison for a few days. While he's there, he's, he's singing the whole time by his own testimony. He's singing and praying. And he's praying primarily for the group of believers that are, that are back at you know, home in the village. Mm-hmm. And his prayer is that God would protect the young believers because he's afraid that the young believers are going to be discouraged by the fact that he's been arrested or they'll be scared or that they themselves, mm-hmm. you know, the young believers, uh, would, would recant their faith even though they're not the ones in the moment being right. pressured. Yeah. Right. Which is a, you know, a very mature shepherding type of, uh, of mindset and position. Here's mm-hmm. the guy who's, who's in the fire and his only concern are the sheep. And he's praying, God, don't scatter these young believers. And here's the crazy thing. When this happens, this guy has been a believer for three months. No way. Three 
months into his Christian life, he starts preaching and he's imprisoned. And his concern is the young believers. So he's, he's a three month old baby believer preaching the gospel in his village, being imprisoned. And his, and his primary concern is that, that the believers that are younger than him might, might walk away from the faith. Yeah. yeah that, that's, that's the heart of Christ. Right. That's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And you know, it, it, it's a testimony too to maybe the, the personal evangelism that he'd already been doing. Mm-hmm. The fact that there are now believers younger than him, that right. he was one of the first in the village. Uh, and so the police continue to threaten him. And, and he says, if you arrest me, I will just continue. I cannot stop the meetings because this is what God had called him to do. So, it, it, you know, this first time he spends three days in jail, the police, um, and then let him go and they, and they send him back home. Mm. He gets back to the village. And I also find this uh, amazing. Here's the guy who's, who's been, you know, in the cell facing the the persecution and he gets back and it's exactly like the end of Acts chapter 16, right? So Paul and Silas were thrown in prison and, and they're beaten and they're falsely accused. And then God does a miracle and yeah. midnight, right? Sets them free. And then Paul and, uh, and Silas, they leave and they go uh, back to the believers. And in Acts 16, 40, it says, and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Yeah. Paul's the one delivering the comfort to the, to the, to the church there at Lydia's yeah. house. And he's the one enduring the beatings and the imprisonment. So this is yeah. the exact same thing. So, so one son leaves and he goes back and, and here's a, a shaken small house church community. And the man who, you know, you would think should be receiving the, the comfort is the man delivering the comfort yeah. to those young believers. Praise so, God. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more Christ-like than to have, you know, Jesus is sweating uh, blood in prayer over the potential agony that he's fa- ready to face. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, in the season before the cross, his primary objective is to comfort his disciples. Is it, this is an incredible way of thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so much selfishness, sh- selfishness ingrained into Laodicea mm-hmm. that this mindset seems, it seems so far from us, you know, but it is what the mission requires. Right. And so a testimony like that is, is phenomenal. Yeah. 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 I think we do, you know, and even in the little bits of maybe challenge that I've had in my own life and in missions, we kind of, it's easy to put the eyes on ourselves and say, mm-hmm. well, what, what do I need? And, and there's times when we have genuine need in terms of encouragement and strengthening yeah, and getting put back, but you know, John gets his head cut off and what do the disciples do? And they, they just move forward. Mm-hmm. Peter gets picked up and the plan is let's cut his head off too. And I was like, well, okay, but what are the rest of them going to do? Well, they just keep going. Yeah. And it's a, a hard thing to, to wrap our minds around from our perspective. Like, yeah. I don't have any friends who have lost their head or their life Mm-mm. for the cause of Christ. And, and then, well, what would I do? Someone shows up and it's like, well, I'm going to cut Brandon's head off. What are you going to do tomorrow, James? Well, I guess I'm still going to follow the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about missionary biographies and, and reading the gospels and, and, and hearing, you know, the story of Acts, I think that um, it's, it's important to create those hypotheticals in your mind. Mm-hmm. I think you have to rehearse them um, because there is coming a day, whether it's that severe or not, there is coming a day where your faith will be challenged and you have to determine that you're going to move forward despite the fact that all around you, you see people falling for various reasons or, mm-hmm. or failing or um, are being taken out uh, or, or being lost, you know, uh, whether naturally or, you know, unnaturally. Mm-hmm. And you've got, to, you've got to have rehearsed a million times in your mind uh, how devoted Christ was to you. Yeah. In order to persevere, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and trust that in those moments that, that God will do exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. And when you're brought before, you know, kings and authorities that I'll give you what you need right. is the promise of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, as much as you want to have settled that thing in your heart um, and to know where you stand with the Lord, like you said, you're going to get there and, and God's going to speak. Yeah. He's going to do you allow him yeah. to. So that's, that's a powerful thing. And that's exactly what we see 
here in in one son's life. So he over the course of his life, he just continually gets picked up, mm-hmm. right? So he goes back and he keeps uh, preaching, and so they'll you know they'll come and pick him up again, and he it's gets like a, a charade at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and but every time you know it's 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 a longer imprisonment, and then becomes more and more physical as well. He starts to endure beatings as well. He gets arrested for eleven days, and. Uh, in one of his imprisonments and and the guards tell him, they say, look, we're, we're doing this all over the country and we're, and pastors are quitting. You're not even a pastor. Like they don't even re- identify yeah. him as a, as a pastor. You're just some village kid. You're just you some know, village like, guy. Yeah. We got pastors who are quitting. Who told you that you get to keep preaching? And he just told him, well, God did. Mm. God told me, so I'm just going to keep preaching. And so that's, you know, that's, that's what he did. And they threatened him. They said, they said, if we pick you up again, we'll just keep you in this box for 20 years. And essentially his response was, okay. Like gladly. He said, okay, gladly. Then if you need to put me in jail for 20 years, then you, then you decide what's right, you know, in, in terms of the law. And, and I will gladly do that, but I cannot stop mm. the preaching. Yeah. And so he does. He continues to preach on one occasion. He gets picked up. He gets put in the jail cell. The the uh, the guards had had you know done their thing. They they'd been by this point they're they're uh, violent with him. They're mm-hmm. they're be- they're uh, assaulting him. But this time they they you know they paid or they enticed all of the other prisoners. They put him into a group cell, and he said he's beaten viciously by by ten prisoners who are in there at, at the at the enticement of the guards, um, mm. and they beat him. Uh, pretty severely and then they end up letting him go and they they drive him back and just dump him in the village and kind of you know um sounds kind of like you know what you think of in a mob movie like here's yeah. the example let's let's make sure everyone understands that we're for real so here's here's this beat up body we'll drag him back and throw him yeah, in, in a village. mob movie he'd be thrown out of a moving car right on this <laughs> wet street it's just rained right so uh they had these little tiny motorbikes yeah you know and like we do in asia we ride right Five people in the back. So they probably it's got their version. The the body draped over, and they put it up on their motorbike and they toss them off. off. And, yeah, and so the village is uh, again, you know, uh, in distress. But uh, after that, he he spends twenty days in bed, unable to walk. This the beating is so he can't eat, he can't walk. And the village is praying for him. The believers are praying for him. After twenty days, he gets enough strength to to get up, and then they take him to a hospital where he continues to recover. So that you know, he's facing. Serious physical affliction yeah. by this point. Right. Serious physical affliction becomes a normal part of his life. Mm-hmm. And he just says, well, if that's, if that's a part of my life for Christ, then that's just a part of my life for Christ. So back to, where, to what you read at the very beginning, you know, the, the passage just talks about horrific physical affliction that, yeah. that some believers endured and that they would said, well, willingly, okay. Yeah. That's what I will endure. Right. Yeah. It's part of it. So his mission in Vietnam continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't change. But then um, there's simultaneously, obviously, lots of conflict going on all over Asia. Mm-hmm. But his neighbor in Cambodia, the, the neighboring country, um, is facing severe, severe persecution by the communist government. And uh, he gets a you know, a call on his life to go, to go and minister. So how does that transpire? Yeah. So he becomes not just a local church planter, but he becomes, um, uh, you know, an international across cultural missionary as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he, he just through again, reading the scripture and understanding what it says and seeing that somebody brought the gospel to him realizes that he has the opportunity to take the gospel to others. So what he says is, is that, you know, physically in terms of his skin color and, and his features, he looks like the Khmer of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And so he feels like he can go and he can communicate with them and he can take the gospel. Now, hold on. I think this is an in- interesting, uh, I, it's not quite a principle, but it's a, a strategic thing that we need mm-hmm. to consider as well, because there's parts of the world that a white missionary really can't get away with going. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth mentioning that, 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 the way that God has knit you together in terms of your ethnicity and complexion and and uh, the color of your eyes and the color of your hair actually makes you more prone to missions work in certain parts of the mm-hmm. world, and uh, that's that's worth making note of. There's strategy surrounding that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. not to say that God can't send anyone anywhere, right. but oftentimes we do see uh, some advantage in terms mm-hmm. of the way that God built you and, the, and then where God sends you. Right. Like I, it, it, it may seem odd given my you know, lighter complexion, but uh, with a dark beard, dark hair, even where I was in, in you know, South Asia, uh, there were people, indigenous people groups there who had lighter complexion, dark hair, dark skin, or dark hair, dark beards. So you could colored potentially eyes. be mistaken, at I, least from I the distance. I commonly was, yeah. yeah. So everybody assumed that I was just from the northern part of the country, mm-hmm. which was great. It allowed me to go kind of unrecognized um, by some of the people that I needed to be invisible to. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it was good. So he uh, he's invisible at some level because he looks like a Cambodian. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he's sneaking into Cambodia. Tell mm-hmm. us about the experience of getting into Cambodia to begin with. Let's take a moment right here to hear from Pastor Mike Renault of Living Faith Boston. Hi, I'm Mike Renault, pastor at Living Faith in Boston, Massachusetts. And if you're considering learning the Word of God, Living Faith Bible Institute would be a good place for you. The good thing about LFBI is that you're not just learning from an academic standpoint. You're learning from actual practitioners that do in fact know the book. These are pastors and men who are leading churches, doing the work themselves, since they can give you a firsthand real life knowledge of what it means to learn the Bible in that context. Some of you may have a call in your life for the pastorate uh, to be a missionary, to serve the Lord in other parts of the world. Living Faith Bible Institute can prepare you in a way that you can be equipped with the Word of God and given practical tools, being held accountable in your ministry right where you're at. If you're interested in learning more or you want to enroll in LFBI, go to lfbi.org. And so he's sneaking into Cambodia. Tell Mm -hmm. us about the experience of getting into Cambodia to begin with. Yeah, so at that time, uh, the Khmer is a a people group, but there's also, um, if you've paid attention to history, you you may be familiar with the Khmer Rogue, which Mm -hmm. was a a militant communist uh, group that was coming into power at that time. So in 1968, Pol Pot um, begins his his revolution in is establishing his Marxist regime into that area. You know, briefly in terms of history, uh, they they were killing. Uh, it's estimated two to three million people. Mm-hmm. You know, there, yeah. there's mass graves. You have the killing fields, um, which is common in in this type of a governmental system mm-hmm. that comes in and becomes, as you mentioned, uh, all powerful, uh, the Almighty and has the right to make those types of decisions. Yeah. And so Christians in particular uh, and, and vocal Christians became a big target. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of our younger listeners are, are less familiar with what was going on in this part of Asia mm-hmm. be, because we didn't experience it. Um, I think, you know, uh, Gen Xers or um, baby boomers, people of that generation are very, very familiar with the dangers of a communist government and the effects that they have on on Christianity and the mission moving forward. And so this was a very dangerous thing for him to engage in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he but he'd already counted the cost right. you know, in the box, if you will. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So his life already didn't belong to him. Mm-hmm. And so he had to walk, as he said, a, a whole day and half a night uh, from where his village was to get into uh, Cambodia and to the people he's trying to reach. And one thing he mentions is that he knew if he were to, to meet a soldier uh, in that journey that he would be shot dead because yeah. they would assume that he is in support uh, of the, the revolution. Mm-hmm. So they would shoot him. Uh, but he was willing to take that risk. And uh, he, he walked, you know, uh, you know, 18 hours in order to get there. He said that he did not carry any food with him because if he was gonna carry anything of weight that he wanted it to be the Bible. So he would carry gospel tracts and one Bible, the one Bible that he owned. So side note here as well, he also mentions that he only knew of 18 Bibles, like physical Bibles. In in, Vietnam. Yes, in the area where he was. So his village of 150 people, you know, plus the surrounding villages, they'd actually started evangelizing as well. So they have 18 Bibles to share between them. Right, so uh, another aspect of, uh, of missions work would be Bible translation, which wasn't necessarily the issue here mm-hmm. because they had the Bible in their language. 
Uh, but this would be more like Bible smuggling, yeah. bringing a Bible in and giving access right. uh, to, to, for people to hold the Bible in their hands that don't actually have mm-hmm. a Bible. With that in mind, so Bible smuggling is still a thing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to say about it. We should probably devote an episode to that, Yeah. to just talking about the topic of Bible smuggling. If people are interested in at least being inspired mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that the Bible gets in the hands of people in places like this, in situations like this, we we always recommend God's Smuggler, the book. Yeah. Which I think you brought you brought here. Got, um, got one. Yeah. And so if if no one's read this book, um, it's a it's an incredible story of faith and one of my one of my favorite Christian yeah. books, to be honest yeah. with you. Powerful, powerful book. Yeah. And and it's modern, it's recent history. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We talk about this like it's it's old, way off in the past. Well, I have friends who do this now. Like I have friends where I was working mm-hmm. that that are involved in the same type of work. Um Pastor Will has been on a trip just like this. Yeah, to smuggle Bibles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty amazing uh, and a big deal and a big deal to him uh, to, to ensure that that Bibles were getting into Cambodia, right? So even to the point where he's saying, well, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to eat that day on my 18-hour journey because he was going back and forth mm-hmm. between Vietnam and Cam- mm-hmm. Cambodia mm-hmm. for short trips. Mm-hmm. I wasn't 100% sure if I was going to eat that day, but carrying food was irrelevant. I was going to carry as many Bibles as I possibly could. Yeah. So I'm going to carry the word because mm-hmm. the spiritual food trumped his physical food. So he would do that trek, you know, think about just how strenuous it'd be walking through the, the jungle, jungle and, yeah. and, and all the, you know, the dangers that came with the jungle. He said it was full of wild animals There there are, there are big cats and there are snakes there that will kill you. And he said, I, I didn't fear the jungle though, because the Lord was with me. And he took, you know, he would take the tracks and, and pieces of scripture so he could give it out to those people who had absolutely nothing. And they would give uh, pieces uh, of the scripture. And he would go in, he would do like he did at his own. He just repeated what he knew to do and what had worked for him. Which let's be honest, he didn't know much. He didn't know much. It's not like he he didn't have LFBI and he didn't, yeah. he didn't clearly didn't have a theological background and very little discipleship. He had the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's what he had. Mm-hmm. And by this point, we're, we're a few years down the road from mm-hmm. where we started the story. So mm-hmm. he's been studying the Bible, but sure. right. He doesn't have, um, you know, somebody who's well-versed in the scriptures there with him daily to help help him iron sharpening iron and, and even leading and teaching. Right. So yeah, he takes what he knows and he goes and he just invites the, the Kumara to come and join and, and he'll preach and and, and they're responding, they're getting saved and, and they'll find a place and he'll baptize them and then he'll take off and leave uh, as soon as he baptizes the new believers uh, because police would get word and, you know, as God does, uh, the police would show up uh, a few seconds too late, right. you know, it just yeah. skipped out of time, just yeah. like a movie, yeah. like the good movie, you know, um, you know, just barely missed them. And right. Just, just here. So talk about the baptism thing, because this is something that, that I didn't realize, um, how the how the baptisms went down is is cool just in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a war torn nation, mm-hmm. um, and, and even still, you know, we hear about trying to to find and and pull out uh, landmines in Vietnam and Cambodia, things mm-hmm. that were left from the war, and, and occasionally they'll still blow up and hurt somebody. But uh, they did bomb hole baptisms. So so where bombs had hit and had left the, these craters, right? You know, after it would rain, they would fill with water, and so they would they would take. Um, what was initially, you know, war and destruction and, and kind of the, the, the remnants, the, the pockmarks of, uh, of death and would get down in these bomb holes and that were full of water. And that's where they would baptize the new believers. It's incredible. Yeah. Just a beautiful, just a beautiful picture. Right. Be- wonderful, wonderful picture mm-hmm. of, of God's redeeming work in this world. And that despite how dark things could be, um, new life can be born and, and joy could be had. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it is. It, it is absolutely a beautiful picture. So Juan's son is, uh, he's crazy and there isn't much else to this really to say, is there? I mean, he's going and he's giving his life willingly to this work. Uh, do we know the number of converts? I mean, do we have any, do we have any idea of what the real impact was over time? No, we don't have, you know, firm numbers, mm-hmm. you know, which is what we want, right? Yeah, we want to grab all of them, yeah. hear the numbers, give me yeah. the report. 
But the report is that he was faithful and he kept going in and out. Uh, he was still based at his, in his village and he would go in and all through you know, this, this regime and all through this time of, of mass killings, he, he would go in and you know, there's some powerful stories that he, that he shares that at times he actually did come in contact with a soldier. Uh, who would point a gun at him and, and raise a gun to kill him. And, and he says that he commanded them in Jesus' name, put down your gun, don't shoot. And they did. And then he just walked past them. Yeah. You know, wow. so, so there's, you know, there's crazy testimonies of, of the power of God when you just are, are willing to step up and, and to start walking and following God. You hear a lot of that in God's smuggler, mm-hmm. those types yes. of stories. Yeah. Um, but no. To answer the question, we don't have a clear answer as to exactly how many people he led to the Lord. We know he was in and out. We know he's um, reproducing uh, at least believers in Christ Mm -hmm. in Kumer and um, among that people and then also in his neighborhood. Um, One of the things that we talked about briefly is is that part of, you know, for us, one of the things that we need to glean from one son's testimony is the need for and the significance of Biblical discipleship. Right. Uh, talk about that, if you don't mind. So I think there's two parts with that. One, we also have the need need for um, a heart that values the word, mm-hmm. right? And I'll start there. So we need more people like Samuel who, you know, and literally for him, it was that the word of God was precious. Yeah. Right. For Samuel and for, for one son, mm-hmm. because there wasn't much of it. And Samuel's approach was he didn't let any of the words fall to the ground. Right. And so this is the mindset of that man and, and praise God for, um, the churches and LFBI and discipleship that we have. But, um, if you don't develop a heart for the word that says everything that God's putting out, however I can get it, I have to have it because Mm -hmm. I can't let a single word fall to the ground. If you don't develop that heart, um, you know, then you can go through the motions and, and, and check the boxes, right. Of, of, discipleship and yeah. even take LFBI classes and, and check them off. So, so we need, we need believers to get this heart that God's word is that valuable. And then you see, yeah, I think it brings up some good questions um, in terms of the, the desperate need for discipleship. So you have a man who, who probably doesn't have a, a great grasp of um, a lot of the biblical theologies and, and probably didn't do things, you know, practically in the way that maybe we would. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps if, if he were, uh, you know, maybe more, more established, trained in the word, trained in, in those things, um, we would be able to identify more, more of the fruit. Maybe there would be churches that are reproducing churches. I think yeah. maybe this is one of the consequences of not having a discipleship approach is that he was really good at going in and evangelizing and we're seeing souls saved. Um, but, but we don't see generations down the road because here we are, you know, 50 years removed yeah. and it's harder to look back and see some of that fruit. Yeah. Well, if we look at Vietnam and Cambodia today, mm-hmm. there isn't the, we can't see the residual impact or not much residual impact, uh, of work like this. Both of these places are still very much considered unreached, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I wouldn't say they're the least reached, but they're, they're definitely unreached. And there aren't to, to, to this day, there aren't a lot of disciple making bodies in either Cambodia or Vietnam. And that is not, you know, that is not to undermine what, what Juan Sun was doing, mm-hmm. but it does speak to us. I mean, there, there's a call on our lives uh, to, to go to places like this and establish uh work that's sustainable, mm-hmm. you know, spiritually sustainable work rooted and sourced in God's word, uh, people who can feed themselves. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's what I think really establishes the, as, as we would say, churches that plant churches. Mm-hmm. That's part of our vision here, right. just at Midtown, the way that we communicate it yeah. is that you have to have people that are, that are established and, and, and understand that vision and, and know how to, to answer the, the objections and all the questions that come up. And, and you see this at time, right? In Paul's life, there are times when, uh, when he is very bold and there's times when he has to, to face, uh, objections and be able to, to handle the scripture in such a sufficient way that he can answer 
the questions of culture and the questions of other religions mm -hmm. and all of these things. You know, you see it in the beginning of Acts 17 and and all through his work. Well, we need those types of, of apologists as well uh, to help us to hold on to what's been given to us and to know how to to take that and apply that into a, a world that is you know ever changing and and yeah. ever full of new religious ideas and spiritual ideas and. I think it's worth mentioning here even that um, so there is there are Bible translations in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, it ha the the work of translation and and proliferation has continued. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to say about that mm -hmm. uh, that we can't get into. But but praise the Lord that even in our own church, there's a group of people who have been called to Vietnam. Yes, and um, you know represent uh, the the continual call on our lives to go and to establish true discipleship ministries, not just here, but man, in church plants all over the world, what is the, it brings us back to like, what is the objective right. of missions? And, mm -hmm. I, and I think it's critical for us to remind ourselves that it's, it's not good enough for us to free the oppressed. You know, it, it, the evangelism and discipleship have to be the, the focus of our intent mm -hmm. as we do missions work in our own community, but, but on the on foreign lands as well. Absolutely, I, I do think it brings up an interesting conversation. You know, as you get, as we would say, towards the, the end, we're getting to the last days, mm -hmm. and and we can see the seasons, and we know that it's coming. So, does the mission shift a little bit? Meaning, is it okay? Is there ever a time, and maybe in these last days, where we would say, well? we know we have very few days, so let's just send people with the gospel and save souls. We, we might not have enough time to plant churches. Do you see what I'm asking? Yeah, I think that the church has grappled with this for 2,000 years, in fact, uh, at least when they are full of the Spirit, mm -hmm. at least in the seasons where people are full of faith. Obviously, in the Laodicean age, our perspective is tainted by the, the culture of our churches and, and our lack of faith. But but if we were to think, you know, broadly about the church as a whole, I think that there has always been both because of the eminency of Christ, because Paul was convinced, you know, he had, Paul was given prophetic insight to record scripture, but was very clear that from his perspective, he saw Christ coming back any moment. And um, I think that eminent regardless of the situation in the world or the signs that you see, the, the sense of eminency that every church and every generation should have mm -hmm. forces you to be urgent, but then you have no choice but, but to also say, if we are to do a work that's sustaining, then there has to be people that remain home with the stuff, doing the training, uh, establishing mm -hmm. Bible institutes, training people, discipling, because you want to be able to say, 20 years from now that you didn't waste all of your resource, but you have prepared for there to be a multiplication process mm -hmm. to reach the world. We are sometimes good at this and we are sometimes bad at this, but I do think for 2000 years, the church has worked through the yep. ebbs and tides of, of that very balance. Yeah, and that's one of the kind of the joys and challenges of, of you know the Christian life at any time mm -hmm. up until the rapture is that we're always looking at today is my last day. Yeah. And also I got a hundred years. I need a, I need, I need to plan mm -hmm. not just for my life, but for the next two generations. Yeah. And you see that a lot, you know, in, in scripture, you know, uh, you know, children, grandchildren, but even in, you know, second Timothy, we're seeing multiple four generations there. So I have to be planning for that. Exactly. While as well. Yeah. Expecting that the rapture happens here uh, as soon as we're done yes. taping. So yeah. Right. No, and I think I think it is it is the paradox, yeah. right? Like, there is no way of ever grasping both sides of the coin perfectly at, at the same time. Mm -hmm. But but at the end of the day, um, there are seasons of great urgency, mm -hmm. and that's usually when the spirit says, "Thrust in, mm -hmm. move forward, go hard." And then there are seasons of planning and preparing. God built our our world to function in seasons, mm -hmm. and I think the church has to, if we're if we're listening. Um, we can respond rightly to each season for us as well. Yeah. And and you'll see God move in different individual lives, mm -hmm. you know, in different ways, and maybe even in different churches. And I think that's also a, a, a good takeaway mm -hmm. is that we will have what we would call like-minded brothers and, and like-minded churches that may take uh, a slightly different approach 
you know, practically yeah. to the mission. Right. Um, well, praise the Lord that, mm-hmm. that they're studying scripture and they're uh, obeying the Lord and, and, and according to their resources and yeah. maybe where they are in life, that they are moving forward. Uh, I think it's important to not get so insulated into to our way as our the, particular our, philosophy or strategy. Only. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, what's going on in Cambodia? People are probably, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in Ukraine right now is very similar to what uh, one son was doing in Cambodia is that this is a time where I have to go in and, and preach the gospel. And God will be absolutely 100% calling people to do that. Absolutely. Whether they respond or not, that's up to them and and they can work that out. But, but we can know one thing for sure that God has a heart for the hurting mm-hmm. and he uses hurt. He yep. uses hurt as a catalyst for listening. Yep. So anything else we need to know about Juan's son as we, as we walk away from this episode? It's been really good. Uh, you know, there, so again, just to the idea that he is a, a little bit unknown. I don't know how he dies. I don't know the end of the story. Um, we don't know. Right. A- and that's great. Uh, and, you know, just in terms of we were able to capture just this tiny bit of his story. And, and that eno- is enough to be an encouragement to us. And I love it that we don't always get all of the details and, no. and we don't need it. And I think oftentimes even, even our own faith is like that. I don't know all of the details of scripture. I also don't know all of the details of what will happen next in my life. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is what God has given me today. Mm-hmm. So can I be obedient to that? And you take someone like, like Juan's son, and he was, though he might have had little. And mm-hmm. we would say with discipleship, um, he would have had more. And as God tells us, to whom much is given, much is required. So you just become a steward of more. And maybe to wrap up kind of where we started, yeah. we started in Hebrews 11. We read through verse 38 of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth is where you left us off. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea that they were you know, strangers, pilgrims, they themselves yeah. were aliens. They, they probably didn't feel like they fit in in this world and that was okay because they sought a kingdom. They sought a home that was far greater and they had the promise of that which was to come. But the last two verses of chapter 11 say this, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. Their testimony is is great through their faith in the Lord. Receive not the promise. Having God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Right? And so just uh, the chapter wraps with the idea that you can get to the end of your life. And I think we we mentioned this with Grenfell. Mm Mm-hmm and feel like, well, maybe there was so much more um, that got left on the table uh, that maybe I didn't receive the promise. There's a lot, you know, yeah. we talk about Hebrews right. contextually, right. but if we we're just to take a minute to, to make an application, God having provided some better thing. And that's what they were looking towards. They were yeah. looking towards a, a better thing. And they said, you know what? With all that this world has to offer, I can see beyond this and I can see a kingdom where all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our, of our, of Christ, mm-hmm. of our Lord. And that that's what this whole thing is pushing towards. And so that's what I want to give my whole life towards. Yeah. And even if we, uh, well, certainly we won't see everything that we anticipate come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certainly in our life, we will never be, as faithful as we should be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we will always be frail and we, there'll always be work left undone. But the walk away, the inspirational walk away from a passage like that is, um, even we as New Testament believers are looking ahead mm-hmm. and, um, and there is a, there is a promise and there is a surety that God will complete a work that we've, that he's mm-hmm. begun in us. I think that's actually the position you want to die in mm-hmm. with an unfinished vision right? We should have vision that is bigger than us and mm-hmm. a vision that extends beyond our own life and vision that we couldn't poss- possibly accomplish. Because what happens if you do? What, did you achieve right. it? Right? Do, yeah. do, you, do you rest now? Like, yeah. do, you, do you stop? Right. And they're like, good work. We did it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, in terms of vision setting and looking at life, it's just simple and practical. Uh, it should be big. It should be big and wild. Because God's big yep. and wild. Yep. He uses foolish, foolish men and a message that appears foolish to the world. And mm-hmm. he's going to use us if we're willing. 
Amen. So, James, uh, another great unknown missionary uh, story. And we're going to keep doing this. Ho- hopefully this catches on and people are into it. Yeah. So we're going to keep telling these these folks stories and, and see uh, and see what God does with it. But thank you. It's always fun hanging out. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, it means a lot to us. And we want to thank you guys, the listeners as well, for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. Uh, we love you. We value you greatly. Uh, the listenership uh, just keeps uh, increasing. And um, we're getting a lot of really great feedback. We love it when you reach out to us and tell us how a an episode impacts you and your life. Those testimonies fuel our team, and and we're grateful to hear from you. Uh, if if the episodes are glorifying to God and and you think that they would be a benefit to other people, please don't forget to share them and and write reviews, make comments. Uh, we want to hear all of this stuff. It means a lot to us. But we also want to invite you to be a part of what we're doing um, as Living Faith Bible Institute. Our focus is to train the next generation of leaders, pastors, and missionaries for the work of the gospel and for the the discipling of the nations. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that work. Uh, We're grateful for you uh, and your participation, even at the the podcast level, but but your help and your support and your joining to us in the work of training and discipling uh, missionaries and leaders is critical and uh, important. And so we want to invite you into that. But with all that said, uh, we love you and we're looking forward to being with you again next week on another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.